Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of The Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, How to Think Like a Professional DFS Player. It's a 15-hour audio masterclass covering all of the game theory concepts of playing DFS seriously. Any sport, NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, it doesn't matter. Uh, DFS is DFS. It's all the same. All the strategic concepts, all the statistical concepts that you could find in there are, are explained. And and one one of the one of the people that I would say is is a master of the statistical concepts is 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 my guest this week. And it's uh the purveyor of the blitz, capital letters, or the bat, capital letters. And I'm assuming, Cardi, if you ever did uh, uh NBA would be the bounce or or the golf would be the birdie. It would have to be something with a B. So I don't I don't know if you ever do hockey projections, but I don't know I don't know what bees would be in hockey. Oh, I, I got my hockey one. I had someone suggest it to me because they they were like, you need a hockey projection. I'm like, I don't know what I would call it. It has to start with a B. Like I want a cool name for it. And they're like, what if you call it the bony, like a zamboni, but you just. <laughs> That's, and I was a, like, that's a stretch. That's what it would be. Now that's that's a that's a bit of a stretch with the little apostrophe beforehand. You'd actually actually have yeah, to put exactly. it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, I would I would consider you uh, in the in the fantasy space, DFS in general, to be like the preeminent modeler of the industry. Is, is that is that a good way of of describing? Like, if, if you had to put like you're you're not necessarily a DFS player. You put you you play DFS. You play primarily cash games uh, because you concentrate primarily on on the mean, the median type of projections and not the extra strategic element where, like, the projections don't matter as much because you're looking to beat, like, 50,000 other people, so you can't just play completely optimally. But would you consider yourself, like, a modeler? Or, or I mean, obviously, in uh, in casual conversations, like... You say that you're a modeler, you know, people look at your hair and go, oh, you're, you're probably in magazines. <laughs> well, thank you. But yeah, I mean, obviously I play DFS. Like you can find me in the lobby. I play mostly, mostly cash games, but uh, I do consider myself like a projection guy first. You know, I was doing, I was doing projections. I started creating the bat before DFS was even a thing. So like that, that's definitely where I come from and what I enjoy the most about all of this. Um, so, so I mean, yeah, that, that's what my background mostly is, and I think kind of my identity in the in the industry is is that. Uh, and the reason why I think uh, guys like you are useful to guys like me is, like, I always believe in focusing on your core competency and outsourcing, like, any. I'd rather pay someone that knows more than me if the marginal cost is is minimal. So like, yeah, sure, I could go on YouTube and figure out how to fix my toilet. That's, you know, a little runny. But what's that time worth it to me? What's the expertise that I don't have? I don't know if I'm going to screw this shit up. And uh, I'd rather just call a plumber and they come over $120 later. Like, I'm paying for the result. The, the, the toilet's fixed. I mean, same thing for like a locksmith. People, you know, oh, locksmith comes over in 10 seconds, your door's open. It's like, I paid $300 for that. It's like, well... You pay three hundred dollars for the result, not for the right. the time that you put in. So when when people ask me about you know projections and like I'm skilled enough that I could put together my own rudimentary model, 
And over the course of several years, I could probably get it to the point in which it's comparable to, to your model. But do I want to spend three or four years, hours a, a day? I would have to obviously get get much more skilled in like regression and learn like R and like and to, to get it real, to get it better than what you can do. Uh, I'd rather just pay 200 bucks and say, Cardi, just, just, just give me your projections. And as long as you're giving me enough of the information, like don't just give me the median number or the mean number or whatever. Typically it's close enough that they're interchangeable. Uh, like I, I want to know like kind of the variables that go into it and, and the percentile outcomes of, of the simulation and like, cause now there's, that's information that I could use in context, but, uh, when people like are anti projection in some way, like, well, uh, I'm not going to use someone else's projections or they just don't understand what projections are. Uh, to me, uh, maybe it's a compliment. I always think that in this industry, projections are too cheap because like yours, I consider to be the best in the industry and like to the layperson, like they'll cost you 200 bucks for an NFL season two, 300 bucks for a baseball season. And I'm like, Dude, for 300 bucks for 150 plus slates of baseball, like that's like $2 a day for the, like, like I, I there's no way that I'm going to be able to do what you do for $2 a day in my time. And I think that the more that if you're serious and I'm, and a lot of people that listen to this podcast are more, more serious players, or at least looking to get into playing DFS seriously, uh, Right. They're not listening to this for the picks. No, no. There will be, be no picks on this podcast. But <laughs> I view everything that I spend in, in DFS to be an investment. So, like, you know, yeah, I pay for Roto Tracker because it's the best. I, I can make something like that in Excel, but for 200 bucks, it saves me the time and the, the energy. And do I screw something up? So it's efficient. Like, you know, there, there's a lot of times people ask me like, how do I make my own model? Like, what do I need to learn to like do this? And I'm like, like so much, like, I don't even know where to start, like so much. And it's going to take you so much time and you're still not going to be guaranteed to be as good as what I put out, what, what anyone else in the industry puts out. It's like, why are you going to waste your time doing that? Like it's here, it's accessible. And, uh, like you just, you don't really need to build your own because what's out there, I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's pretty good. And so like, it's just, it saves you so much time. And, and like you said, it's, it's not that expensive when you really break it down. Right. I, I take a look at, uh, projections around the industry and most are reasonably good, are reasonably good where the game of DFS starts with that. I think, I think I, I try to stress that a lot when it comes to projections that, like the projections are the starting point. Like that that's all of the sports information materialized into a number, into numbers. So you don't have to look and see what the DVOA of this is or what the what the the total of that is. Like it's all it's all done for you. Everything that matters is is already in there. Is right? already in there. All the you you've already made the dish. Now I have the plate. I have the plate in front of me with my, my yummy food. And now I have to determine like who to serve it to and what portions to do and what, what, uh, what contest to put it in, you know, like all those types of things that, that it's the projections aren't the be all end all. I know that like I'm big into projections, you're big into projections, but, uh, in the, what people think of projections, like this is, this is what, this is what 
I end up getting. I get one of two things when it comes to projections, Cardi. I get one, people that think projections are predictions. Like, that's, not, that's number one. But let's, let's tackle this one, one by one because there's, there's two, two areas to go from here uh, where if you have Devontae Adams at 29 points in your projections, that people think that that means you're predicting Devontae Adams to score exactly 29 points tomorrow when that's not what it means. No, it's not. <laughs> then what does it mean? I mean, I go into this in the, in the third chapter of uh, the Theory of DFS Masterclass where I titled it, it's, pur- it's purposefully, I titled it Player Selection. Like, I go, oh, okay, this is the chapter where I get to figure out how to select the right players. And then it's like a two and a half hour statistics class where <laughs> at the end of it, you're like, well, what does that have to do with like players? It's like, no, this is, this is how the basics of how players are projected and that you need to view them as a range of outcomes and not a, I'm going to predict one outcome because in the span of so many variables of one single game, like, you could you could say like if if you ran this out ten thousand times the middle is going to be twenty nine, but that, it's exactly, it's rarely going to be it's actually best. it's actually rarely ever going to be twenty nine. Actually, the number that's the median or the mean is actually one of the unlikeliest numbers to actually happen. Right, and and that's exactly the best way to describe it. I think is like pretend that there are you know a million alternate universes and in each of them Devonte Adams plays the lions you know in the in the forward field or whatever the dome is called there um you know 32 total you play that out a million times sometimes Devonte Adams is going to get 50 points sometimes he's going to get 12 points sometimes he's going to get 33 points average them all together the blitz is telling you Devonte Adams is going to get 29 points in that matchup doesn't mean he's actually going to get 29 points today, but it means on average, that's what we would expect him to get. And it means that he will reach 29 points more often than Jeff Smith, who projects for six points or something like that. Like that's what the projection is telling you. Right. So if, if Devontae Adams scores 27 and a half points, you shouldn't be in, 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 in your DMs going, well, your projections are, are horrible. Awful, 27.5. Uh, you said 29. I can't accept a 48th percentile outcome uh, on, on, this, on this player, and uh, your entire projection set is just, uh, just worthless. Yeah, that, that's the thing a lot of times you get from people who really don't understand projections is like, well, you were so wrong about this one player. Yeah, so it's a range of outcomes. Like we've got a bunch of guys in the middle. We have outliers at the end. And those outliers are always going to be there. Some guys are going to underperform. Some guys are going to overperform. And if you're just pointing to one of the guys on the end and saying, this guy underperformed, like he's, you know, his projection was totally wrong. And so all the projections are terrible. Like that's just not how it works. Those guys are always going to exist on the end. You got to look at the whole because that's, that's how math works, guys. Well, I mean, that goes into my second point on how models are, are graded or accurate you know, how, how you measure whether or not your model is good. Now, models typically take into account, uh, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, about all the variables that are correlative. But, like, you don't, you don't judge the accuracy of your projection model by, like, whatever the top optimal median number is. Like, I, I get a, a lot of stuff when it comes to projections. People will send me an email. Said, they're first getting into it, Right. 
They've been playing DFS for four years and they've been, you know, going by picks articles. They've been, you know, scouring, spending 15 hours on research through all the stuff that the projections have already taken into account for, but they're not, they're not looking at that. And then they go, well, uh, I finally used an optimizer and I took the, my, the projections. Okay, I'm doing what you said. And the top lineup for projection is 154.26. And uh, so that's the best lineup. Like, like if, if we were to, if I were to put this in the Millie Maker, like this is the lineup that is most likely to win. And I go, actually, no, that lineup has almost no chance of winning. And then they, their head explodes. They go, well, how could the lineup that projects the best have such a worse case of winning a, 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 a Millie Maker type GPP? And I go, well, the, the players that project the best are also own the most because other people are also identifying that those are the best plays. And you're making a lineup full of the best plays from a median perspective. It doesn't mean, like, it, it, you, if you hit the 50th percentile outcome of all your players, you're still only scoring 154 points. The Millie Maker winner is going to have 240 points. So, like, you need to find where everyone in your lineup hits the 80th percentile outcome. And you can, any of the players in the entire player pool can hit an 80th percentile outcome for their salary. And obviously yeah. the ones that are underpriced have a better shot because they're, you're getting more points for the salary, but that doesn't mean that the, the nine best slots that you could fit that knapsack problem, right? All, all the top optimal is, is give me all these numbers and try to fit as much in for $50,000 in salary and give me the highest median. And there you go. And that's what it is. But the next 20 could be like 0.2 points away and have one slightly different player, two slightly different players. And people will exactly. go to people will go to you, Cardi, and say, oh, your projections are shit because I played the top optimal, the one, number one knapsack, whatever thing. And uh, and I, I didn't cash in a double up. But like like you, you don't you don't judge a projection model based on like the the top optimal lineup it's like that you have to judge it based on like an r squared of like the entire like the of entire player pool. that i'm projecting you know, the right. top optimal lineup is nine players that i'm projecting out of 200 on any given week and it might only be projected you know a tenth of a point higher than you know another lineup that scores you know 200 points that week like it has you know this you know one or two other players that you know go completely nuts like this week you know, the Blitz's top optimal lineup didn't have a great week. But, like, if you looked at the third optimal lineup, it had Tua and it had Derrick Henry. And I think it had, like, K.J. Hamler. And, like, it went nuts. And it's like, you know, that, like, on any given week, you know, some players are going to underperform. Some are going to overperform. And, you know, just whoever happens to be in the top optimal doesn't necessarily guarantee that those are the guys that are going to smash. Like, there are other guys that are projected just as well or almost as well. That could do well also. So you have to look at it as a whole. Right. And especially when we come to players that project similarly, that let an optimizer, a piece of software, is just solving a math problem. Like it's just telling you, like, like based on the numbers that I put in, and we see this in NBA more so than NFL even, where if you project a player median-wise for minutes for 34 versus 33 – that could that could make the difference of if you ran a hundred optimals, you know, median lineups of a guy showing up in eighty out of a hundred or showing up in twenty out of a hundred, just the one minute because the extra point eight points of production that you're pro projecting, 
Like, well, for the knapsack problem, it's it's fitting, it's fitting it in, it's fitting it in, it's fitting it in. You take one minute, one minute, and all of a sudden, like, it doesn't even appear in the top ten. And it's yep. like, that's how fragile the projections can be. That over the course, obviously, Cardi, you're judging it over the course of not just, like, three games, right? You're not, like, you you get into these arguments on Twitter where I just sit back with my popcorn.gif and go, <laughs> and go like, these people don't understand sample sizes. And, and no. people make fun of, like, like, so many people make fun of you, uh, especially in baseball, where... Uh-huh. Where you, you say something and it's like like well or or the thing that you said uh, in uh, with with interceptions being random, right? It's like how could interceptions be random? Jameis Winston's horrible. Like he's more likely <laughs> to throw interceptions. It's like and you you said that you, you're probably right, but you couldn't judge it without you know a sample size that's large enough that you'd have a confidence level in doing so. Yeah, and there's so many, you know, like interceptions. There's so many ways interceptions can, you know, it bounces off the wide receiver's hands and it gets intercepted. It's not the quarterback's fault at all, or a quarterback throws a bad pass and the defender just doesn't catch it. Like, there are so many ways that there is noise in something like interceptions, and, and people just don't want to hear it. They're like, oh, well, Jameis has a bunch of interceptions, so so he's terrible. Um, and it's just... I mean, look, look at this past week. I mean, Mahomes had three pick, three interceptions, and two of them were, you know, it bounces off a receiver's hands, and yeah, once it goes up in the air, it's like that. He can't control that. Yeah, like like they have some control over it. It's not like I'm saying interceptions are like a hundred percent random. You know, bad quarterbacks generally project for more interceptions, but it's not as wide of a gap between the best and the worst as as the raw stats make it out to be, or as people believe it is. Right, you use the term noisy a lot. And I think people don't understand what noisy means. Would you consider noisy? Would I be accurate to say that noisy means that the correlation is so weak uh, in the variable that you're looking at that without a very large sample size, that it's very hard to be conclusive on whether or not that you should even weigh it much at all? Yep, that is that is a great way. Uh, that's a great way to put it. You know, it, basically, when we talk about noise, when we talk about variance, when we talk about regression to the mean, you know, all of this has to do basically with that correlation. If you know, a a player's I mean interception rate. If the player's interception rate in the first eight games doesn't project or doesn't predict his interception rate in the next eight games very well, well then what are we doing? Why do we care about it? And and it's not necessarily a binary thing either. Like I think a lot of people think of this as like, well, it's either something that's really predictive or something that's not predictive at all. And and there is, you know, it's it's a it's a spectrum. It's not like one or the other. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like there are statistical techniques that we can use to say, well, this is really stable, and this is, you know, the correlation's weak, but it's not non-existent. Like we can still account for it a little bit. Um, and I think people don't get that kind of nuance. Right, I think in DFS, uh, the biggest advantage is in uh, having non-bias in your assessment and then not overestimating. Because, we'll, I mean, so much of the edge in fantasy sports, not just DFS or in any or in a, the stock market or any type of type of market where there's multiple betters and everything going around in sports betting in general, is that. Uh, it's not that there is 
that the thing doesn't matter. It's that the field, the market overestimates how much it matters, where people go like, like I'm going to stack Coors Field because it's Coors Field. And it's like, well, I'm not arguing that, that, that that's the biggest ballpark factor. I mean, you're the bat typically to me, it, compared to most other projections actually factors in ballpark more than most other places. But even then, You'll see that the field goes, well, I, I got to stack core. I mean, like, I, it, if the core's game ends up three to one, that's like, oh, my God, I can't, I can't possibly believe that that, <laughs> that happened. And it's the same thing with dome games in the NFL. It's like your, your model, uh, based on what you've researched and what you've back-tested, tends to show that the environmental factors are more correlative than other models. Either they don't incorporate it or they don't weight it as high. So that's why in the blitz, sometimes, you know, we get a guy that's, you know, in the dome that's projected, you know, 3% higher than most other places. But uh, that that doesn't mean that, like, it, oh, it, well, Terry McLaurin in the dome, we, oh, that, yeah, you got to play it. It's it's a matter of how much do other people view the, the match. Like, to me, uh, a lot of the matchup-oriented things are the ones that the field overestimates. They, oh, yeah. they they go, well, this is the 30th ranked DVOA defense in week four. DVOA. <laughs> well, but I'm, I'm, I'm putting the precursor and saying week four, going, dude, you have three game sample size. Like, how do you know if any of these defenses are as good? People have been attacking uh, the Falcons defense for the past couple of weeks, and they don't realize that the Falcons defense has actually gotten better and they're just viewing it from, like, the narrative of, like, the Falcons secondary is horrible. Uh, I'm not saying the Falcons the Falcons defense isn't good, but people are acting as if, like, they have preschoolers out there trying to guard, guard wide receivers. <laughs> uh, so it's a matter of the field is taking too much of that factor into account, that variable. They're, they're treating that variable as if it's correlative 0.6. When it really should yeah. be 0.15, like, like from a from if from a mathematical perspective, the human biases are really just assigning a higher correlation coefficient to these metrics. But what the projections do, if if you do your own or you get uh, another projection set like like the blitz or the bat, is that it's properly weighting it. So when you're taking a look at those numbers, it's like no, the matchup's already in there, and the guy still doesn't project well. So. Don't play that guy if he's going to be 22% owned. Exactly. Now, you, were, you used a word. You say wait, waiting. And I think that's, that's an interesting thing to talk about because a lot of times I think when people think about projections or models, um, they think about it in a way that like, well, okay, so I'm going to wait, you know, the weather 10% and the park 20% and the pitcher 30%. Um, and they almost feel like it's a... I don't know. Like, like, I think that that makes it seem like it's a subjective thing where I can just like go into the bat and be like, you know what? Today, I want to wait the ballpark 80 percent instead of 20 percent. And and it doesn't work that way, at least I think in a, in a good system. I think a lot of models maybe do that. But I think there is a little bit of a difference between a model and a projection system. And what a projection system, or at least the kind that I build do, it's not saying, well, OK, bar, ballparks are, you know, weighted 20 percent relative to pitchers or weather or whatever. It's going in and it's looking at the ballpark on its own, independent of everything else, and it's saying, okay, you know, Coors Field boosts home runs by 15% relative to other parks. You know, uh, 
Oracle Park in San Francisco, you know, deflates home runs by 13% relative to other parks. And, and so it's all done organically. It's not like a weighting compared to other things. It's saying, okay, if Coors Field, you know, boosts home runs by 10% and this pitcher, you know, projects to give up home runs 6% more than league average and this umpire, you know, projects to call 3% more strikeouts than league average, then you put all that together and, and the weighting kind of happens on its own organically. And it can change from situation to situation, you know. If it's a league average pitcher and a league average umpire and a league average defense, but the ballpark is really, really hitter friendly, well, the ballpark's going to drive that projection because everything else is completely neutral. And the weighting on the ballpark is actually, in that case, I guess, very high. And in some cases, you know, if it's a neutral ballpark, you know, maybe the weighting is is non-existent, you know. So it's uh, I, I just find that interesting. I think it's something that a lot of people, when they hear the term model or they talk about weighting, um, it's not something I think a lot of people kind of understand how that works. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. And I think uh, the thing that uh, people don't understand about models is the way that regression is calculated. So, for instance, uh, obviously, from, from an intuitive sense, the more recent results you would have to think are a better way of finding a person's true talent, like compared, like that's what a prior is of like, we take a look at AJ green. It's like, you can't view AJ green this year as if it's 2015 anymore. Right. Right. But you still have to wet that the past, like you want the large sample size, right? So you have a, this large sample size of a five years worth of data, but obviously like in baseball, you'll have a pitcher that, you know, used to be dominant and now he's Madison Bumgarner. Right. Like, like you, like, but you can't just say the opposite either. You can't say that, well, in his past five games in NFL, or is it past 50 at bats that he's, that Chris Davis is auto is just all is he's, he's now a, you know, Gary Sanchez is now just, is just off. He's a minor leaguer now. Like you have to wait the past also, but you have to also wait the present in some way, uh, more so. So I think that people don't understand that, that uh, when, when T Y Hilton is projecting well in the beginning of the season, like it's still, it's still encapsulating like results from two or three years ago for his prior, but every week that he underperforms, like it, it decays in some way where the more recent stuff becomes more weighted. If I, I know you don't like that term weighted, but no, I think it's no. easy to understand. In this that case, way. it makes total sense. In this case, it is it is actually definitely waiting. Like that's what you that's what you do when you create a projection. You go in and you look historically. Okay, what is the best way to account for players' skills changing over time? What's the obviously the stuff that happens most recently matters the most. It matters more than what happened five years ago. So you need to go in when you create a projection. You need to say, okay, how much more important is this season compared to last season? How much more important is last season compared to the season before that? And you can do that. Like we have decades and decades of sports data where we can go in and we can say, okay, well maybe for this statistic, last season is twice as valuable as the season before. And that's twice as valuable as the season before that. And then you can weight it that way. And I think a lot of people, um, they, they almost do this intuitively in their minds. Like if you're not a projection person, like you are, you know, saying to yourself in, in week three, well, you know, T.Y. Hilton is uh, 
has been really bad this year. He was pretty good in the past. You know, I used to like T.Y. Hilton, but he's been really bad this year. So so I'm going to treat him mostly as really bad. Like people are doing it in some regard. They're creating their own weights intuitively in their minds. But I think most people's brains tend to overweight the recent stuff. They, they don't think back as much to – they don't put as much weight, I guess, on – on what a guy has done previously. And I think that's a big mistake that, that non-projection people do. They engage in, we say it all the time, like it's, it's such a common term now, recency bias. Like, you know, you, you have to account for, for what has happened previously. And I get people asking me all the time, especially early in the year, they're like, well, why does the batter, the blitz still like this guy? Like he's been terrible over, over the first three weeks of the season. His exit velocity is down and his barrel rate is down. And it's like, it's only three weeks, guys. It's a sample size. Like you still have to account for he was really, really good last year. Like that still matters. There's still a chance that he is just getting unlucky for a couple weeks and he's going to go back to who he was before. And you have to weigh those, you know, the chances of that happening and, and come up with your final projection and and a projection system, an actual projection system that runs the full math on that, that knows how often guys revert to that previous form on average that is going to be a lot more accurate than just kind of guessing yourself and saying, well, this guy's been bad this year. I just got to treat him as being bad. Right. I, I find the, the recency bias uh, to be, it, it's, it's, it's weird. Recency bias exists. And most people, when it's bad, recent, recent results are like, like he's bad. So I'm, I can't play him. But when they're good, they have to play him. Like it's, 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 it's what I constantly joke about. It's the gambler's fallacy of either a guy, either something is hot or something is, uh, is, is due. Like it's one of those, like, <laughs> like I never, like you, de- depending on who you talk to, it's like, yep. you know, that this, this, this batter is, you know, oh, for oh, for 41. Right. And you go, well, I'm he, either someone's going to be like, well, he's due for a home run because he's insert best, but you know, he's Ronald Acuna. Like, how do I not play Ronald Acuna for 4,700 against this shit pitcher in this good ballpark because he's 0 for 42 uh, because, you know, he's, he's due. He's due. But then, but then for someone that you, that you think sucks, you go, well, how do I play? Like JD Martinez is, 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 is one for 78 or so, you know, something he hasn't hit a home run in three weeks. And he's now forty two hundred, and now some now the same person is like, "How do you play JD Martinez? He sucks." It's like, well, how come? How come he's not due then? How come the other yep. guy is due? This guy isn't due, and then you have the opposite where you know uh, uh, someone's hit three home runs the past three days, and you're like, "Well, it, but you get the same thing. Same same thing in both directions. You get the guy. Someone will say, "I, I got. He's been he's been killing the ball. He's now up to he's now up to fifty two hundred. He probably shouldn't be fifty two hundred as a batter. Probably should be forty five hundred. But now I got to play Mitch Moreland because he's he's knocking the socks out of the ball uh, and he's hot. But then you talk to someone else and you're like, "Well, he's hit three home runs in the past three days. I can't play him now because he's pretty. He sucks and he just got lucky. So I think I think he's due for a bad game. And I I I, I see these conversations. I'm like, none of this is based on math. Like no. none of this is like just like the it, what it's just based on it, our brains. Our brains right. have a way of tricking us about these things. And I guess it developed like evolutionarily, like years and years ago, decades ago, centuries ago, like in caveman times or whatever. Like our brain needed to be able to see certain patterns and react to them in order to survive. 
But now that we're in a, an age with computers and everything else, and we're playing this game of, of fine edges, you know, these things don't don't help us. They they hurt us. Like it's much better to look at the math, to look at exactly what the probability is, as opposed to just like you know, trusting what our brain is trying to tell us. Well, this guy's due, or this guy's hot, or like. Like, like, no, like that, that's not a meaningful pattern that does not actually hold predictive value. Right. Well, predictive value versus descriptive value. I mean, I think, I think there's, uh, people, uh, misinterpret descriptive. Like I, I mentioned in the course, theoryofdfs.com, people talk and I, I, I almost don't like the fact that you post this on Sundays where you post the donkey graphics. And you're like, you know, good chalk, bad chalk, because like those terms don't mean anything. Like there's no such thing as good chalk or bad chalk. It's, it's that, that's a descriptive term. You don't know what's good or bad. Like you would say that here's your projections. Here's your medians or means. Here's your range of outcomes. Now, technically what you're, what you're saying in that is that compared to what the field is going to do, here's. Who on average will do better than what the field thinks and who on average, not today, just on average, will do worse than what the field thinks. So if right. you took the field out of this, like that number, that good, ch- the, the, the term chalk doesn't exist anymore because no. there's no, you would say there's no good player, bad, but it was just like, there's just players. And then once you take the descriptive out of it on caring about the, the outcome of one day, like then the good or the bad comes out, the adjective gets out of it. So I'm like, why is there good chalk? Like, that's something you could describe after the fact. But to me, when people get upset with me, when I'm like, I don't predict outcomes and I don't have any picks, it's because like, I don't know what's going to happen today. I just know based on this simulation, what on average these outcomes are going to be. And I'm trying to now build plus EV lineups to take advantage of the field thinking that something exact is going to happen today. And I'm just going based on some range of range of outcomes. And it's like, can this, I'm building this lineup for a GPP. Does this lineup have more of a chance of winning first place than other lineups in the contest? The answer is yes. Then I play it. Whatever happens that day. Like I can't control that. It's the same thing as flipping a coin. If you're getting three to one on a coin flip, like, like, well, pick heads or tails. Like, what the fuck do I care? Like, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm getting plus EV no matter which what I pick. So the whole goal is to me to get fine people that are willing to lay me, you know, three to one on a coin flip. So so you are 100% right about all of that. But to in order to explain why good chalk and bad chalk isn't really a thing, you probably just talked for two minutes to explain it. On Twitter... People don't want to read a 50-tweet, you know, caveat thread about why good chalk, bad chalk. They want to see a donkey telling them who's to play and who not to play. And so— Aren't you—no, no, no. I'm going to hold you account to this. Aren't you then perpetuating the the stupidity? Like, to me, like, uh, people view me as condescending when I, 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 don't, I don't think I am. I'm from New York, so I speak very bluntly and honestly. It's that I don't, I don't want to give in. Like I don't like if there's if there's something stupid and something not logical and not mathematical. Like I'm just I'm not going to do it. I'm going to. Someone says, should you play X and should you play Y? I go. It depends on your lineup. Depends on the contest. And they're like, why can't you just tell me? It's like, well, look at projections. Like that's the only thing that I could guide it by. Okay, this guy's projected 29. This guy's 27. There you go. Well, who do you think is going to do well today? Like I'm. I don't fucking know. Like 
other people would be like, just like you said, like, well, the general public thinks in these terms. It's like, I'd rather just, just like, well, if you're not going to think that way, then get the fuck out of here. Like, either learn or I'm going to try to teach you. And if you can't get it, there are plenty of people that think I'm stupid, right? That guy, you're, that, that, what you say is bullshit or whatever. That, that's fine. But the people that I help, I mean, they, they, they do well in DFS. Uh, and I'd rather, I'd rather educate Sometimes I educate by, you know, by bluntness, by exaggeration, by like, like if, if, if there's no answer, I'm going to say that there's no answer. And although I know the easiest thing for me to do is say, yes, Devontae Adams is a better play than Derrick Henry. But technically, that's not true. I know that's not true. You can make Derrick Henry lineups that are plus EV for GPPs. Oh, absolutely. And you can make ones with Adams. So it's for me to say who the better play is. Like it's in, to me in my head, it's incorrect. So if I were to answer that question, I'm perpetuating the thing that I hate that, that people don't know. So, so that's why I say to you with the donkey graphics, it's like, if you want people to view projections as a range of outcomes and versus the field and, and all of these statistical concepts, aren't you now perpetuating the stupidity by saying good chalk and bad chalk? Yes. I mean, yes, I am. But from a, so. but what you're saying, no, what I'm getting at, and this is true because this podcast is real. Uh, it you are, but from a business perspective, that makes more sense. That that that's the piece that, yeah, like you from a business perspective, it makes more sense. And obviously, I am willing to have all of these kind of conversations with people. I, I answer every single DM I get. I have like these real like nuanced conversations with people in DMs. On Discord, I even try to do it in the replies in my tweets sometimes. Um, but there is also, I think, on some level, you do have to consider the business aspect. And that's the aspect I, I like the least. I like doing projections. I like doing the smart stuff. Um, but business meaning, happens. I just want to clarify, business meaning that 90, it's very similar to why people, you know, like I don't like doing like pick shows or written content like that is like, I understand why people do it because 95% of the audience wants it. It's the type of thing where where it's easy for someone to just, okay, here are the top 10 plays of the day. I mean, the top 10 plays of the day are the fucking projection. I mean, like, I'm looking right. at, I mean, like, I, I, I'm look, like, I could just look at the projections and pretty much see that. The, the articles are just explaining, like, thank you for explaining the projections to me. Like, all the stuff that would go into a projection, like, and then you're adding your own narratives in there that don't make any difference, like, well, the big dog at the last time versus what I mean on the second <laughs> Wednesday of the third moon of whatever. I mean, those things don't matter. But in general, the best plays are are, are projected to be the best. You're not going to see one model say that, you know, this guy's the best point per dollar value. And, the, and some other model say that, like, the guy could only score three points. Like, the differences aren't that dramatic that, uh, to me, I'd rather educate from a perspective of, uh, uh, someone, someone, uh, uh, told me this 10 years ago. I did, di I did digital marketing and I still do digital marketing, but obviously it's less of my, my revenue stream now because I focus, you know, cause I'm good at DFS. So like, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna uh, help my uh, local plumber get more business and that be my primary income, uh, uh, which is what I did for local, local digital marketing. But I, I dealt with someone from a bigger agency, uh, 
in digital marketing. It was like a co, like I was, I was like the, the small digital guy and he was the big agency guy where, and he's subcontracting to me to do some of the digital work. And we go and, but he wants me there because I, because he doesn't have that expertise and I do. And we're in this boardroom. I was forced to wear a suit and everything like that. And they're, they're going to be, it, it, it's a, it's a subsidiary business. It's a bigger business. This is like a bigger, typically I deal with local small business owners, you know, where the primary person I'm talking to is the owner of the business. This is a whole, right. this is a much bigger company. Uh, and then basically they, they have this idea, whatever this, whatever product that they want to put together. I, I listened to this presentation for like an hour and like the entire time going like, this is totally not going to work. <laughs> like, like just from a trip, like how they expect to get business digitally. Like, it's just like their, their assumptions are so out of whack with what, you can do online like that, like it, it, it's, it's not going to happen, dude. But like, I come from, I, I, I speak real. So when it came to time to that, uh, point where I had to, that I interjected and it wasn't in my place to do so. Cause I was there as the, the expert. So like, I'm not going to say anything. I respect the, 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 the agency that I'm with. I'm like, it's their meeting. If I, but if I get asked the question, I'm going to tell you the fucking truth. So then I got to, oh, it's like, like, <laughs> right. So if, if you, uh, then they're talking about ad words or whatever like this, it's like, what, what would you consider a budget and what words like this? And then I said, said, you could set it up. You could test this. Like I, I said, I don't know this industry as well as any other, but from my experience in doing digital marketing, like I can't possibly see your acquisition costs it, it being worth it. I just, I just, I, 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 I could do that. And I explained the whole thing for five minutes or whatever like that. And the meeting still went on well. I mean, like, whatever. This, I mean, it's not like, like, oh, we have to stop the meeting and storm out. But the guy from the agency outside, and I could tell he was annoyed, uh, said, said, you know, you know what I, you know, he said, the best thing about you is also the worst thing about you. And I go, what do you mean? I said, you'd rather be right than rich. And I go, I go, that's a, that's, no, I said, no, I'd rather be right and well off. I think that's a better way of of uh-huh. describing how I I view even DFS play or in general is that that the guy that the agency I'm with is looking to secure a six figure seven figure you know marketing agency of record type of contract knowing that that this is a very cyclical business and after a year or two they're going to be you know they're going to be sh- some other agency is going to come in they just want to get their piece of the pie they're going to put in the work they know that. 90% of what they do is bullshit, right? Most marketing is bullshit. Uh, but it's hard to figure out what 10% works. So you kind of have to do it all. Uh, and my attitude is, is like, no, like I have no problem. Just like, I'll, I'll go after the small businesses that like I'll charge less and make, and make an actual difference and do it the right way. And yes, yes, yes. I don't have the big fancy house, but I have a house. I think that's why you make such a difference in this industry and why you've added so much value is because you will just tell people how it is. You care about helping people learn. And I think that is awesome. And, and that is absolutely something that I value myself. Um, so like to get back to like, whatever the chalk donkeys or whatever, like I want to help people. I want to teach people the real, the right way to do things, but they also have to find me first to a certain extent. I am in the business of, of, you know, selling picks or player analysis because I give projections. So like, People need to find me. They find me. They find the projections. They, you know, start DMing me. They come into the Discord. 
And then they actually start learning how to use them properly, how to start playing the game properly. But they have to find me in the first place. And so I think putting out a chalk donkey to get people's attention, like I'm okay doing that. I realize that it is super, super basic and simple and, and not at all like, like the right way to explain it. Um, but I do, I do hope that the smarter people realize, okay, what these donkeys mean is that, you know, on average, Devontae Adams is going to be under-owned for, for his most likely outcome. And Derrick Henry is going to be over-owned for his most likely outcome. And, and yes, there are ways to build good lineups with both. But if I ask you, and I know you hate this question when people ask it on the stream, but who did you have more exposure to last week? Did you have more lines with Devontae Adams or more lines with Derrick Henry? Well, I had all the Adams and I had none of the Henry. Well, there you go. So, so that's, that's good chalk, bad chalk. And there is nuance to it. And there is, you know, ways to build well with Henry and like all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, like, you know, if we're simplifying it down as simple as possible for, for people on Twitter who, who love simplicity, Devontae Adams is good chalk and Derrick Henry's bad chalk. Yeah, but don't you think that that also could be negative business-wise? Because if people, if 95% of the audience thinks in terms of picks and like you acknowledge and we both acknowledge that it's a range of outcomes and who knows what's going to happen on a specific day that... When you say that Derrick Henry is bad chalk and Austin Eckler is bad chalk and then they do well, that makes it that like, oh, your product must suck because like, like, be, be, but only because, but you're the one that framed it that way. It's like, it, like it's you true. open up that Pandora's box of like, this guy sucks because his quote picks were bad. And you have to realize that people are more likely to remember the bad ones than the good ones. The only people that remember the good ones are the people that already follow you and already use your model and are like, well, I'm playing X player because they project well. They end up working out well and like, yeah, you get you get those retweets of people that already know you. Like, I'm 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 pushing back on this business aspect because no, and you, and you might be right. I mean, I, I've kind of always thought of it like, well, I know my projections are good. I know I'm right more than I'm wrong. So in the end, you know, I'll have some wrong ones, but I'll have more right ones. But I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe people, people don't make don't a tally. Do you right think people make tallies? Do you think people make tallies of Twitter takes? No. Right, no. right. They don't. But if you do, if you don't make those takes. Then you, you're not subject to like, well, he project. I mean, I get upset, Cardi, Cardi. I'm gonna do my my face, right? The, the, in the Blitz chat, there's someone that already captured this face. Uh, I get upset. I'm the I may be the only person in this industry that gets upset when people call me out for a good take. When someone <laughs> when someone's like, K oh KJ Hamler when Ham on t- two passes on three targets. And two touchdowns. It's like, like I thank you for getting me on to KJ Hambler. And I'm like, I didn't know he was going to do that. Yes, I didn't know. Like, like why? Don't thank me. Just thank projections. Like, thank. Like, okay, it's apparently he projects well enough that he fits into a bunch of lineups. I. It's not someone I would have went out of my way to even if it wasn't for your projections or even other. It's not like it was just you, right? KJ Hambler was projected on other projections very well for his 3K price. And obviously from a strategic standpoint, there were other 3K receivers 
that we're going to be chalky. That we're like, if it's kind of like, what's the chances of KJ Hamler outscoring Brashad Perriman or Chad Hansen or any of those Berrios or whoever in that 3K range? And I'm like, well, he's going to be like 1% owned and these guys are going to be double digit owned. So it's like, well, I, I, now I could play Hamler in the 3K spot and still have chalk pieces. I could have Adams in my lineup because I'm not having Perriman in my lineup. So, but that, None of that means I think KJ Hamler on this specific day is going to go out and score 22 fantasy points. So that's why even when people, even when people congratulate me and thank me, I get annoyed. I just like, I, I fuck you. I didn't call anything. I didn't have a take. I didn't fucking call anything. Right. He could have easily had nothing. Right. I had Marvin Jones. He did nothing. Also. Oh, you're remembering KJ Hamler. There's plenty of people that I had that sucked, but Oh, oh no, I'm, I'm like, am I the only one that gets pissed off when people could thank you for the, I mean, because, but it, it comes from the same thing, Cardi of, I don't want to perpetuate picks and takes. So even, even if I quote, got one correct, which I didn't, uh, I, I still want to scold people and be like, like, well, I mean, thanks, but I didn't fucking know anything like, like that. <laughs> the, you made the lineup. You made the lineup. I didn't, I didn't make the line. I mean, just did. I, I definitely get where you're coming from. Like, completely with all this but at the same time then like how first i'm never gonna i'm never gonna be upset if someone thanks me like i'm always happy that someone does well i'm always happy that someone wins um sometimes the process you know whatever but like like when is the appropriate time then to be to be okay with this or to like thank someone for this like the projections obviously like i'm build build good lineups i i they're they're Plenty of time. I retweet some of them. I don't. I don't like retweeting. You know, those types of things. But when someone DMs me, someone emails me, someone tweets at me and says, you know, I read. I I, I read. I read. Quote read, audio read. You know, your your course or listen to your podcast or whatever. And here's a lineup I built and I won ten thousand dollars. Like to me that that. Now, I, thank you. I mean, I, I, I feel very humbled and appreciative of that, but it's not because like I chose to play this guy. Cause I, sometimes I see the lineups and go, well, he got kind of got lucky with that player, but I understand this, but I understand this lineup said so this lineup was built well for the contest that it's in. And I chose not to go with, with Derek Carr and you chose to go with Derek Carr with Aguilar and, 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 and Jonathan Taylor. And I'm like, like, yeah, I, th- I thought about that. And it was just not on my priority list, but I mean, it was perfectly viable. And then they fit a bunch of stuff around it. Like I didn't call any of those. Like I look at that lineup and say, like, even if you watch my stream on Saturday, where I do talk about exactly the lineups that I'm putting together, like I'm not, I'm, I didn't call anything. So like, to me, I'm more appreciative of that because now at least I'm perpetuating the, the way to play DFS of lineups, not players. So it's like, did you... I don't mind. People email me. It's like, I, I made a lineup yesterday. It sucked. Uh, did I do anything wrong? And I look at the lineup and I go, no, they just sucked. Like, it just, like, that's the way it is. And sometimes I get lineups and I go, why the fuck do you play these guys together? This guy's negatively correlated to that. And these two guys aren't likely going to hit a ceiling at the same time. And this guy projected horrifically. And it's like, you don't have enough, you don't have enough floor in this. Like, like your lineup, if I put it through my projection, even aggregate, Right, not just your projections, but everyone's projections. I mean, this has a median of like thirty points lower than like any other lineup. It's like, <laughs> like, dude, this this is a shitty lineup. And now, and, and but it's not a 
well, what players were wrong. It's like, well, getting back to what you do, Cardi, is that the projections are the starting point. So if you don't even have that, I know Eddie Fear put out a video uh, a couple of days ago for for FTN because NBA season's coming back. I know you don't do NBA projections, but you know that the variance in NBA projections is much lower because there's no big events in NBA. And he pretty much says, it's like, just because you have projections doesn't mean you're going to win anything. It's like everyone has good projections. I mean, like that's the, if you don't have projections, you're dead. But if you have projections, it doesn't mean you win. That's that's the starting point of the right. game. So that's why I highlight with uh, with from, from a business perspective to most people, it's like, I don't care where you get them from. Like people ask, like, well, what projections should I get? It's like, well, I mean, do you have labs? I mean, it's something. It's It's better than nothing, right? Do you have... You know, RG projections, Blitz projections, uh, Daily Roto. I mean, I'm fine. Awesome. Anyway, ETR, who cares? It's just like they're reasonable enough to start from rather than looking at just not. I mean, what are you looking at? There's nothing. So you're going to go right. through and go like this guy's in a good matchup and I'm going to have a notepad. Like, dude, how much time do you have? Like I could I could show up to a slate and, and, and I could show up to a, a baseball slate with the bat. I've done this multiple times on a weekend or something like, oh, okay, I have time to play on Sunday. And I wake up at 1130, an hour before lock. And it's like, okay, I made 50 lineups. It's like, like well, what, what do I have to research? I mean, Cardi's giving me the projections. Every, everything that matters. And you just need to make, I mean, it's the perfect way to say it. Like you need to start with the projections, ideally the best possible projections. And then you need to go from there. You know, like the projections aren't going to do everything for you. A lot of times I get a question like, how do I use the blitz for, for GPPs? It's like, like, it's, there's just so much to it. Like go, go read Blender's audiobook. That's what I tell people. Like, cause even you, even Cardi, help you. Cardi, even you, you, you DM me on Sunday mornings with your single entry oh, yeah. lineups and you go like, what do you think? And I'm not, I'm not going to tell you if it's like, like how good they are. I'm just going to say like, like, do they make sense? Like, like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then sometimes you put guys in, I'm like, I don't, I don't think Thielen and Jefferson could both get there. I don't, I think they're negatively correlated at their right. price for and, this. And that's like, what I'm looking for. Like, obviously I come from a cash background. I've never been a GPP player, but I understand there's a lot of soft money in GPPs and, and there's a lot of edge in GPPs. And especially after listening to your audiobook this year, I understand so many of these concepts more than more than I used to. And so I want to, I want to try it a little bit. So I like getting your opinion to make sure there's not, you know, something that I'm, that I'm missing. And you, you've said a few things to me this year that I'm like, Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. Like, don't use like, I don't know. One of the first weeks I did this, you know, it was like a C- Seattle Seahawks, like chalk week or something. And I think I had Tyler Lockett as like a one-off in a stack for, for a different lineup. And you're like, don't, don't use Tyler Lockett as a one-off because if he gets there, Russell Wilson's probably getting there. Metcalf might be getting there. Like the, the game is probably going crazy. You know, he, he's not a good one-off because like whatever. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So now, you know, don't, don't take guys like that. And just stuff like that, you know, that even though Tyler Lockett projected really well, he may not have made sense in that lineup. And that's the kind of thing that, uh, that I'm trying to get better with it and learn more. Right, because when you're building lineups for GPP, you're not trying to get the most points. You're trying to maximize for first place. Right. So sometimes maximizing for first place. This past week, I played zero Derrick Henry. Not, not because he was a bad play. It just, I was building lineups and lineups and lineups. And I'm like, like with his projected ownership being somewhere around 30%, and him being very touchdown, I mean, like, 
He's high variance. He's very touchdown dependent. If he doesn't score 202, like you, you're probably not going to need him. So it's like with 30% ownership, it's like, I'm going to bet on these outcomes as if Derrick Henry puts up a dud or at least an average game. There's more of a path to me winning first with Derrick Henry failing than with him succeeding and me having him in the lineup because of his ownership. If he right. was 7% owned, I'd have all the Derrick Henry. Like that, yeah. that, those are the concepts when people ask, are you playing X player? Are you playing this guy? Are, it's, well, what does the lineup look like? I can make a, I can make a lineup for an outcome of a Derrick Henry ceiling performance. And I could also make a second lineup that assumes that he fails. Because that the win condition of the lineup without Derrick Henry is one where Derrick Henry only puts up 20 points. The win condition of one, a lineup with Derrick Henry in it is one that he puts up 40 points. But people in their head are like, well, what am I? It's, it's, it's this thing of like, what am I rooting for? I'm like, I'm not rooting for anything. I'm just looking, I'm just looking for plus EV lineups and whatever outcome. I, yes, you could have diversified outcomes and say, well, I'm going to have some with the opposite outcomes. And of course, when one lineup wins, the other lineup loses. You can do that. Some people put together sets where it's like, I'm just going to bet on multiple combinations of this outcome. And as long as these two games go off, like I have all the pieces of it. And if the two games don't go off, I lose all my money. Right. But that's a matter of risk tolerance. That's not like strategically the lineups in and of itself have a certain expected value to them. It's impossible to get an exact number on it, but you could play a lineup with a guy that's chalk or a guy that's not chalk or a guy like, like this. And this constantly gets back to that. If you start with your projections and you're essentially trying to make the best lineup, that's the least owned. So if for instance, you go through and just do, do a top hundred optimals and see what, what like the baseline with no correlation, no leverage, no nothing. And you see, it's like 155. So from a theoretical standpoint, like mathematically, like that's the median. Now the range could be narrower. So like each player has a different standard deviation. So like, like the median doesn't matter as much, but it's a guideline at least. So your goal is to like, well, can I get up to 155 close enough with players that are like half his owned, right? Can, is, there a, is there a way for me to piece that puzzle together with players that are like a guy is 30% owned with a 16 projection and this guy's 10% owned with a 15.2% project? Like it's a, I'm giving up 0.8, but I'm gaining like 20% in ownership. Can right. I fit all those pieces together and like, okay, this lineup, uh, Okay, it's low owned and it's 152. So I'm giving up three points of median, but I'm getting a lineup that's like half his own. It's like that's that's a lineup that could win a GPP. And it's like then 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 the, the second question that I that I ask to people when I when I give this example is uh does it matter what the players are? Like, do the players in the lineup I I'm gonna give you a lineup. Like I t- I tell people this in DMs to, when they don't understand the lineup's not players type of thing. Where it's like, okay, uh, if I could give you a lineup, theoretically, that projects as high as any other lineup, but is half as owned, would you take it? And they'll go, yeah. I said, okay, it doesn't matter what players there are. And they go, and they go I guess not. I go, exactly. Lineup's not players. Like, yep. like it, do, it doesn't matter if it's KJ Hamler. Or like if you, if you go by an accurate set of projections, like that's all that should matter. Like, 
the only reason you're taking players out that aren't projected as high is you're doing it for correlation or leverage purposes for GPPs. So, like, outside of that, like, just build... I, I built Drew Locke lineups this past Sunday. People on the stream were like, Drew Locke, why the fuck are you rostering Drew Locke? I go, I don't even know why I'm rostering Drew Locke. Like, <laughs> I, I don't even know. I, they're, they're receive, the receivers projected well for their price. You could jam in Adams. You could jam in a lot of points in your lineup. Yep. And I just got, I, I just saw, I'm, I'm going through, I'm going, I'm getting 148s with Locke. I'm getting 146s with Locke. I'm getting cumulative ownerships of 78%. I'm like, I can't ignore the math. So it's like Locke, Hamler, Fant, like, and then you play Curtis Samuel or, or Robbie Anderson because all these guys project well. The only person that doesn't project well in comparison is Drew Locke, right? But but you're using him for the correlation. You're not using him for the me- median right. projection. So like those lineups come out, and I go, I guess I'm, I guess I'm playing Drew Locke in like seven percent of my lineups, and then people like they fucking throw shit, and they go. And then, the of course, they're terrible. You can't play the Broncos. Right. You like, can't. But why are you doing this? It's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Not trust the projection? Like, I, the, here's, here's the weird thing, Cardi. Uh, how do I? Because people will say this. It's like, well, I got to play Devontae Adams because he projects so well. Like, Cardi loves Devontae Adams. He projects so well. And then I go, well, I'm playing, I'm playing Drew Locke stacks. They go, why the fuck are you doing that? It's like, dude, they because he, he projects because the lineups project well. It's like, like you can't love one player's projection in, in a, the same model and say that the other player's projection is bad. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the Blitz loved Devonte Adams, but it also loved KJ Hamler, like Tim Patrick, like it, it liked those things too. And you can build lineups with both of them. You can, you know, a Drew line, Drew Lock Bronco stack. You can get Devontae Adams. You can probably get Derrick Henry in there too. Like you can do whatever you want with that kind of thing. And I, I think a lot of times, I mean, it's what you say. People focus too much on, on the players. They focus too much on the names. And they say, well, KJ Hamler's the the fourth option on, on the Broncos. Like I can't play KJ Hamler or I can't play Drew Locke or whatever. And it's like, like the projection knows that. The projection knows that and it is in there. And so if he still likes, the projection still likes those guys for for the for the price for the ownership, like why aren't you playing them? Right? Why aren't right? I that's that's exactly what I said on the stream. It's like, like if I didn't play Bronco stacks, like, like then what am I playing for? Then why am I look? Why am I looking at this projection model? Like, what's the point of me saying? Well, I trust it for Adams to be in seventy percent of my lineups, but I can't have lock stack. Like I, I like those are the types of things. Like in my head, instinctually, it's like, well, this doesn't make any sense. It's one of those things that even though it doesn't make any sense, I'm getting the answers. I don't have to know why. Like, it, it's weird to say, Cardi, that if I if I trust the model, I don't even have to know why. And I've had this argument with people also. That for you, I understand that knowing why is important because that's the only way that your model could get better. Right. You have to know why. But for my purposes, like, I'm just out to make money playing DFS. Like, as long as it's good enough that my results end up with me making money. Like to me, the, you don't have to, t- you know, people on the blitz channel will ask like, why is this guy projected? Well, why is that guy projected? Well, and like, I understand like it being quizzed like that. Those are good questions to ask. I, I get it. Me from an efficiency standpoint, I don't even give a shit. Right. Like I, I like I, all I care about is that they project. Well, they don't project. Well, don't even care. As long as I trust the model, why do I care? Why? 
And that's exactly it. I think you're more of the outlier, though, where you you trust the model. You know the blitz projections are really good. You know the long-term track record, like, et cetera, et cetera. Some people, especially if they're newer to it, like, and they see, well, this crappy player is projected really well. They want to know why so that they can so that they can get to that level of just kind of trusting that it knows what it's doing. Because if you see a, a weird player and, and you haven't really used projections before, you don't understand at this high of a level variance and correlation and everything else, you want to know, okay, well, this guy is projected this way for X, Y, Z reasons. And then you're like, oh, that makes sense. I can trust this. And then you feel better about it. And I think people just need, need that feeling of, of feeling okay with it to, you know, it's just kind of human nature, I think. You know, you know how I, do you know how I do it? I look at other models. So right. it's like, like the only time that I ever come to you like in, in, in for the bad or the blitz and even for RG projections for NBA, which are really good. They were really good last year is that I'll see, I'll see a guy that, that doesn't make sense to me intuitively, right? It's one of those, just you look and you go, that's odd, but then I'll go to other, other models. I'll go like, like, yes, yours could be the highest on this player, but like our other models, at least it's within the realm of possibility. If I see in other models that like, like they're really far down. It's like, like, dude, Cardi, uh, are you giving them way too much of a target share? I mean, like, it, it, is it something that is it something in one of the inputs that maybe you screwed up or you didn't? You one player is 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 out that the other models don't take into account for. Like, you have to look at that sometimes. Are they yep. projecting Galladay in or Galladay out for your Marvin Jones projection? So sometimes you have to double check that. But in basketball, it's a matter of like especially in the beginning of the season where it's like, well, you think this is the, what the rotation is going to be. So this guy should play 32 minutes, but it's quite possible that, you know, they're going to switch this thing and he only plays 28. Like sometimes RG is projecting him for 31 as a median and other models are projecting at 28 as the median. And that three minute difference in basketball could mean a fuck lot. And then, then if I see across the industry that it's like, RG's projecting for 31 minutes, and then this other place is 29, this other place 27, this other place 28. Then I'll go to, like, Noto or Tuttle or Jamino or so, someone and go, go, you think that 31 is a little bit aggressive? Like, and, and if they say, like, no, this is what it really should, and then I'm, I'm like, okay. that's But, like, I'm judging it based on that, but if I look at the other models and see 30s, 29s and 30s, it's like, okay, 31 is... That to me, that's not the outlier. So I think that, especially now, I mean, I'm coming from a, this is kind of like DFS privilege by the fact that like I, I play enough volume that like I'll spend money on subscriptions to like other sites and other projection models. Cause like, I'm not, Hey, on an NFL Sunday, I'm not putting eight to $10,000 down and just like, like, Oh, I'm not going to double check my work. It's like, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that, that, you know, that I'm not completely out of bounds. No, I do the same thing. Like, you know, with, with the blitz, like I subscribe to, to a few other sites and every week, you know, I have a, a report that gets auto generated for me that says, this is uh, you know, the blitz projection compared to, to the aggregate of these other systems, where, where is the blitz relative to these other systems? You know, the blitz is either a lot higher on a certain guy or lower on a certain guy. And for the, the extreme outliers, like I'll go in and I'll look and I'll be like, okay, am I missing something? Do I have one of the inputs off? Am I giving too high of a target share? Like whatever it is. Um, and, and sometimes, uh, sometimes the answer is, well, maybe I'm being a little aggressive on this. Um, 
And sometimes it's just, you know, no, like the blitz really just thinks that this guy is better than everyone else. And, and that's okay. Like last year and the year before every single week, Michael Thomas, five points higher, six points higher, seven points higher than every other system. And I go in and I look, I'm like, sorry, you're all wrong. The blitz is right. Michael Thomas should be projected this high. There's nothing else I can change. There's nothing wrong with the projection. And, and it is what it is. And, uh, you know, I think more often than not, the blitz is right in those cases. Um, but it is, I think, you know, valuable to look. Not not that every person who's using projections needs to do that. Obviously, I build the projections, and I'm telling you, I'm already doing it. But uh, you know, like it, it is a sanity check at the very least. I think. Uh, what What do you find to be the difference? I mean, I don't I don't want to have you you know calling out people. Uh, I find that the difference in projecting. Uh, player stats, especially in, in NFL or even baseball. Baseball probably probably a little bit easier because you have, you have 162 games. Uh, when see the difference of season long projections versus single game projections, because I found in looking around, especially in NFL, because obviously there's it's the most popular fantasy sport, and so many people play season long that uh, the 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 modelers, if I want to call modelers, the projection people that do season-long projections, when they transition into DFS-related single-game projections, are usually not very good. <laughs> um, or not as good. I know I don't. I I I don't want to call out specific people, but I'm just saying in general that that. Like looking at, uh, at 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 someone like you or someone like uh, like uh, Leone at ETR or or Drewby at at uh, Daily Roto and like people that are, their primary their core competency is in projecting single games because there's so much more variables when it comes to what is Travis Kelsey going to do today versus it's very easy over 17 games to go well he's going to be the tight end one like it's like like, yes, he's going to project, like, because you have 17 games for him to get there. He could have a dud game and then have an outlier game the next game, and your projection is going to come out to be, you know, Mike Trout, it's it's easy to project Mike Trout to hit 50 home runs. I mean, it's so much harder to say, like, well, show me the games that he hits two and one game right. and tell me the exact dates of them. It's like, well, that's that's a completely different story. So I, I just find that, that, People that do season-long projections that think that oh I could just trans I could just take my season-long projections and and put one seventeenth on there <laughs> and then just put that number there for each game like that's obviously like you it has you have to have an advantage over over people that do season-long projections for DFS yes right and uh, I mean. That's why I got into DFS in the first place. Like I was doing season long before DFS was a thing, but there's so many more factors to consider on a daily basis. You know, using the baseball example, like the umpire and the weather and the ballpark and stuff like that matters so much on a daily basis. But over the course of an entire season, it doesn't matter, you know, which umpires Mike Trout faces like he's going to. You know, it's going to be it's going to even out over the course of the year. It's going to be about the same. He's going to face more or less an average umpire. But on any given day, maybe he's facing an extreme hitters umpire, extreme pitchers umpire. And so I think any season long, you know, modeler 
who wants to do DFS projections is probably certainly capable of doing it. It's just a matter of whether they're spending the time to look at these factors that that matter a lot on a daily level that don't matter on a seasonal level. And then I almost wonder by the same token if if that kind of uh, separation from from DFS and from salaries and from chalk almost makes a season-long modeler who does decide to get into DFS at a, at a certain advantage because of the objectivity of it. Like I wonder how many DFS modelers, and I'm not calling anybody out in particular here, but I wonder how many of them see, okay, Derrick Henry's going to be chalk this week. Do I really want to project Derrick Henry this low? Like, should I be closer to the field? Should we, you know, nudge up his yards per carry a little bit or like whatever? And, and I wonder whether that is actually a helpful thing to do or not. If, if you have a great system and you trust your system, who cares what everyone else thinks? Just put out the best projection possible. Yeah, but that's a, that, getting back to the business side, right? The, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a business thing of, uh, well, if you, if you don't project him well enough, like it looks bad upon you, regardless of the result. So I think, I think the, the, the conflict, which I try to avoid, but it's not unavoidable, is removing the business objective from the from the math, from the math objective of, and I, I, and I think you're pretty good at that because you, you take stands and you go, that's the way it fucking is. And, yeah. and if you, if you, if you think I suck, then don't buy my product. And, and there's nothing, you know, like I could explain anything you want to them, but it, it, it is what it is. And there may be other people that are more privy to, you know, it's easy to project the chalk, right? It's, 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 it's easy to get on a show and, and, and give the consensus picks, right? It's easy to get on the show this past week and say Derrick Henry, Devontae Adams, right? It's, e- it's easy to do that. It, uh, Brashad Perriman, right? And then you take a look at the ownership and they're owned. So if you're wrong, like what everyone else said it. So like, it's one of those things where, where as long as I say what everyone else is saying, like no one's going to come after me because like, well, what everyone, everyone was wrong also. So like, I'm not any and, worse and than anything else. a lot of, there's probably a lot of that in this industry. And as much as possible, I try to not be that way. I, I go by the numbers. I go by the projections. If they say what everyone else is saying, like, so be it. That means the guy's an obvious play. And there's plenty of times where that's not the case. Like, you you run, you know, 20 optimal lineups in the Blitz this past week. It loved Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was, was the QB chalk. Aaron Rodgers was in probably half the lineups. The other half the lineups was Tua. No one wanted Tua. No one was talking about Tua. The Blitz is... is you didn't even want Tua. You were you were in the chat going, there's no way I could play Tua in cash games. Yeah. I have to X that out. And and it turns out I'm that you didn't... Too, though. I have these biases the <laughs> right. same as anybody else. But the system is like, Tua's really good, guys. Play some Tua. <laughs> right. And then it turns out that he actually did well. And you're yeah. like, if you would have played the Tua lineup, you would have crushed. Oh, you smashed if you played a Tua lineup. You got, you got Derrick Henry in most of those. You know, like it was... He scored the same as Rodgers. So, like, you know, it's uh, it's something we all deal with. But it is something that, you know, I see Tua in half the optimal lineups, and I know nobody else in the industry has Tua in their optimal lineups. I'm not going in there and saying, you know what, I got to tweak Tua's projection. I got to give him fewer yards or fewer whatever. It's like, no, like, that's how he projects. Yeah, but you're also not going to go on shows and start going, like, nope, you're I playing. I didn't mention him on the Blitz show. I didn't, like, hype him up. I didn't say, like, <laughs> 
play him over Aaron Rodgers, but I did say that Tua was a viable cash play. Well, but you do, but it you do have a history of that. Typically, the vomit quarterbacks, where you're oh, like, yeah. right when the guy's forty eight hundred, and it's like, you know, how do you play Mike Glennon? How do you play David Blau? Or you know, or, or uh, who was for the Falcons? Uh, Matt Schaub. Matt right? Schaub, yeah, Jeff Driscoll last year. I mean, this year it's been tough because of the way offensive is. Like, hang up for the top quarterbacks just kind of makes more sense this year. But last year, that wasn't the case. Like, playing those cheap quarterbacks was a huge edge, and nobody was doing it. And so I'd have no problem. Like, if if Matt Schaub is in every optimal lineup for the Blitz, I'm not going to tweak his projection so he's not. Uh, I'm not going to go on the show and say, you know, he projects this way, but I wouldn't play Matt Schaub. I'm like, no. Like, he's in literally every lineup. Like, he's the right play. I don't care if no one else is on him. Play him. Right, or build lineups around him. I mean, it's yeah. you get the extra benefit. If you trust the model, you, you almost rather have that. Like, you'd, you'd rather, if you had a choice, if you'd rather have the most accurate model that is also contrarian. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, that's the best of both worlds. So, like, typically, many models are similar enough to each other. I know I don't want to put down the blitz, but it's like, it's the best, but the difference between the best and others is not like, right. like it's, it's the blitz like, and then yeah. a drop. And like, it's, it's, you would still acknowledge that there's enough re- good, reasonable projections in this industry. Uh, yeah. Most of the time you're looking at those projections and looking to get different, looking to gain relative value, looking to add correlation to your lineups to increase its variance. And you have to purposefully give up median, give up point. You have to give up projection in order to get it. Now, if your model is is now the best and it's the 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 plays that that it's bubbling up to the top, the projections that is coming up where you're getting a KJ Hamler in there, where you're getting a Terry McLaurin in there and he's and you, Marvin Jones is 3% owned and your model is accurate over the long run. Like that's the now 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 your your top lineups are already have enough left. Like you're looking at medians and going, well, I have a lineup. The top optimal is 155. This one's 153. And it has half the ownership because you're playing different. You're, you're project, your your models projecting differently than other, than other places. Like to me, like it, that, that that's typically like what the top players, like if you do your own model, I'm assuming a lot of, a lot of top DFS players have their own proprietary models. They're, 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 they're likely as skilled as you are, Cardi, mm-hmm. and they don't publish their stuff. They, you know, that that's their, that's their secret sauce. And a lot of times I would say 98% of the time, their secret sauce equals your secret sauce. So like, like it doesn't matter all that much, but if you could get on players where you could build plus EV lineups with guys that project well, as well as being low owned. Like that, that, that is, that is the holy grail of GPP. And I like to think, I mean, I'm obviously not the most, you know, unobjective person here, but I like to think that my models do that inherently a lot of times, like, because I have different methodology than, than I think most people use. And I account for more factors than other people do. It just inherently is going to be higher on certain players um, that other people are not. And because of the methodology, because I'm accounting for these other things, it's going to be right more often as well. And so I, I think, I do think that conveys a, a really large advantage. And then when, when we talk in terms of right, here's another, here's another uh, the, the misconceptions, like we talked about in the beginning. 
Uh, a 17-game sample size in NFL is nothing. That's like that's like two weeks of baseball. Like, yeah. right, that's two, that's two weeks of basketball, like two and a half weeks, right, or something like that. Uh, I don't think people, I mean, I think in general, people don't understand that sample sizes, whatever you think of as a large sample size is not even a large, like, it's one of those things where, where, where like, people will, people will ask me this, and it, it sounds, it sounds odd, uh, when they ask, like, uh, who the, who the best DFS players are. Like, who, the, who would you consider to be the best GPP players in DFS? And I'd go, well, these are who I would consider to be the best in, in, in you know, the past five years that I've been playing. Because I've only been playing for five years. I'm only going to judge by five years. But it's quite likely, from a statistical, mathematical perspective, that there's no single play, DFS player that has played enough slates for GPP, cash, because of the law of large numbers and medians, if you played if you played twenty thousand slates of cash and you're a losing player, you're more likely to be a losing player, right? In that regard, GPPs with these top heavy payouts, like there's, it is much much more likely that there's no DFS player that has played since DFS existed. If you played every slate literally since two thousand nine, in every sport, in every in every format. Right, two game slates, turbo slates, and you played every single slate, and you played large field GPPs. If you played them all, that's still not a big enough sample size that your results, that your ROI would be within one standard deviation, like that. So they're like, people think in terms of they go, well, I I played uh, I played a season of this, like I'm a great player. It's like it's quite possible you're not, and it's quite possible that that you, you played a. Uh, uh, two seasons of NFL, 34 slates, and you're actually the best NFL DFS player ever, and you lost all all 34 slates. <laughs> right? It is, it is possible. Yeah, it is. I, I love that point, though, and uh, almost a more macro point from that. Like, you mentioned how, you know, that, that length of time for a GPP is actually a fairly small sample size, but for cash games... It can be it can be very large, and I think sample size is something that a lot of people think about in a very concrete sense. Where like you know the bigger you know like uh, shoot, it's so all like, sca- it's all scalable. It's like I think people think in terms of what's big enough, and there's like sample, there's like there's no sam- big sample enough. Size is, they, sample size is relative to what you're talking about, right? So like in baseball, you know. Three games, most people would say, oh, three games is a really small sample size, doesn't matter. If we're talking about pitcher velocity, three games is a huge sample size. We know pitcher velocity super well after three games. But his BABIP or whatever, it's it's tiny and it's completely insignificant. And I think people don't understand a lot of times how sample size works in that way. I have a lot of people come to me sometimes with football. They're like, how do you do football projections? Football is such a small sample size. It's only 16 games. You know, baseball is 162. You know, the, the sample size is 10 times smaller. And I'm like, not really, because it depends on what you're measuring. Like certain football statistics are just as stable as baseball statistics are, even with the, the actual number being smaller, because everything has its own inherent stability. Um, and, and like you said, like cash games are a little more stable. GPPs are, are not. And even 16, 16 slates of main slate cash games in NFL, I wouldn't call that stable. Like that is still a small sample size, I think. So like, I think a lot of times people need to think about this in a little bit more, 
relative sense, I guess. Well, you have to think of everything in relative sense, right? Not, it's a lot of people don't though, <laughs> right? It's a, it's a relative game. Just like, you know, you need to score more points than your opponents. It sounds like I need to score the most points. I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to score more points than your opponents at all. You know, uh, I need to score 250. It's like, no, you don't need to score 250. If your opponents score 180, like yep. those extra 70 points didn't do you any good. Like they, they're worthless to you. They have no financial value to you. They have nothing to you. And the same thing for, uh, relative sample and it's and it's a it's a more likely or less likely i think uh like the law of large numbers like that like the way people think in terms of oh if it's a large enough sample size it's like the correlation coefficient is one right like it's it's impossible for that 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 it's it's mathematically impossible for that to exist uh it's that it's more likely so like if if you were to play even if you're a gpp player i played gpps for five years i have a extremely high ROI that is unsustainable. Like that wouldn't be my base. I have one, I, you know, a big win in NBA that like just balloons everything. Like if you won the Millie maker at any point, like you don't have that as a sustainable ROI. Like, like, yeah, I have a 271% ROI. Like, like you can't just, if I put in $10 worth of entries, I'm going to get $27 back on average. Like that's not the way it, that, that it works. If you have an outlier <laughs> event, uh, but if you play GPPs for five years consistently, I mean, like every day, I mean, a big enough, like sample size, like you're not just playing like six contests over that time, uh, that, and you're positive, you're more likely to be a skillful player. You're more likely to have an edge. It doesn't mean yes. you have an edge and it doesn't mean if you're down, if you're down 10% over five years playing just GPPs, you could still be the greatest GPP player in the world. You could have gotten, but it's less likely. less likely. It's less likely, right? Depending on the same. If, if you if you played uh, five seasons of MLB and you've played every slate, you've played 150 to 200 slates, and you're down uh, uh, minus 56 uh, percent, you're you're much more likely to be a really bad player. <laughs> like like it's most likely not luck, right? It's most likely you suck, right? Like yep. Right, and if you're up fifty six, if you're up fifty six, fifty six percent ROI over five years like that, like it's more likely that you're a, you're. It's actually it's more likely you're a good player, but it's not necessarily likely that you're the best player, right? But if you're if you're like if your ROI is like five percent, then it's quite likely that actually you're a bad player and gotten lucky. Like it's all that 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 relative curve. Like if and, you've and won enough, if a lot of people, that's the thing a lot of people just don't get. And it applies to actual sports players too. Like Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. Probably. There is some <laughs> chance as good as Mike Trout has been over the last 10 years that Mike Trout is a horrible, horrible major league baseball player. The chances <laughs> are one in like 8 billion. And anytime you say that to somebody, they're like, no, that that's stupid. There's no chance at all that Mike Trout is a bad baseball player, but there is some chance he has just gotten really, really, really lucky. Um, and that just blows people's mind. Like they can't comprehend something like that. Yeah, but that that's the exaggerated example. You say it that, is. that I do that a lot also to go to the most extreme when people go like, well, I can't play these two players because they're negatively correlated. And I go like, you know, we take like two receivers that are like 7K or above. We saw last year with Godwin and Evans, right? With Winston throwing the ball and they go, you know, you know, it's either at 7K, you can't play them both. Uh, yeah, at 7K, but like, like, 
They're negatively correlated. I get it. Like in this, even in that, even in basketball, we see negative correlations. Y'all, you don't play Harden and Westbrook together. I mean, now they're not on the same team, but back last year, like at their prices, like you you can't play them. You're right at their prices. They're negatively correlated. Their ceilings are negatively correlated. What is their minimum price? If Harden was three thousand and Westbrook was three thousand, said, so do you play them? I play them together in every lineup, like because like <laughs> like they're they're gonna each get fifty plus points. And they're gonna be three thousand. So. Even though you look at the negative correlation, like you don't even care about the negative correlation because like they, they are the best values of the slate times 10. Like no matter, even with the negative, you're not going to get 50 points for 3000 in NBA DFS, uh, regardless of the negative correlation. So like, like that's the relative nature of, of what we're doing in DFS. When, when you look at projections, even like, the the actual projection doesn't matter. It's in relation to other players right. on the slate. And the more players that project higher salary adjusted value, point per dollar, one of the two. Like I, I use salary adjusted value because you need more points for a, from a sh- shittier player in right. general and not as much. And Derek, you know, a $9,000 player gets 30 points. You could still win with that because you have raw points. Even though point yep. per dollar, it's not as great. As a three thousand dollar player getting eleven points because eleven points you may not win with eleven points. Uh, right. It's all in it's all in relation. So like my favorite slates are ones where the the projection of the best projected plays are really not like higher salary adjusted value than like the next five percent five or ten percent of plays because people look and they go and they go well. You know, at the running back position, you know, these three guys project well, but like in relation to the next five guys, they're not that, they are the best, but they're not that much the best. Right. But in but in NFL, sometimes you get situations, in N- well, NBA, you get primarily, you get situations where, you know, the star player's sitting and the guy that's going to get 38 points is 3,600. And that's why he's going to be 80 plus percent owned because like he projects relative to the field, of players like like Lightyear, you, you see them in the sky. Like T- Taysom Hill at tight end on FanDuel, like just mm-hmm. there was no one else even close, like that kind of thing. Right, but you have to be aware of those relative values. It's not just the the Devonte Adams projection of of twenty nine. It's like, well, imagine if there was another wide receiver. Imagine if Tyreek Hill this past week projected similarly. Right from a, you know, he's eighty five hundred and he projects for twenty seven, right? So from a salary perspective, it's about the same as Devontae Adams. Now the value of Devontae Adams is not as is not as dramatic because you have another player there. Obviously, you'd right. love to get both in, but imagine having a third player. Imagine if Keenan Allen at seventy seven hundred projected at twenty five. So for his salary, and then now now you most likely can't fit all three of them in, yeah. but. They project now. They project so much better in this example than so many of the other receivers that these three guys are going to be like super mega chalk. Like no matter in what construct, most lineups will have two of them in it, you know. And then all of a sudden, that now the construction starts changing. If people are jamming in two of these guys, that means they're going cheap at running back. And then you look at the cheap running back value, and you go, "This is suspect as fuck," right? And you go, <laughs> "Right?" You go, you look, and you go. Uh, like this, but the only way to do it, if you go by median, these are what the lineups are going to look like. You're going to see a cheap receiver. So it's all in relation 
to the projections. If we didn't have the the outlier projection, the guy that's, you know, we had the Mike Davis at 4K week, right? So, like, he, based on projections, like, he's by far above and beyond at the running back position, like, the best projected play by far. So, once you plug him in, now it starts, now all the other values start, like, well, now you can yep. pay up at receiver, and now, and then if the receiver position only has, like, a guy that's only slightly better projected, he may end up being 20% more owned than the next guy just for literally no apparent reason other than he has a half a point higher projection. But this is what, this is what re- being, thinking in terms of relatives, and that's why viewing a slate from a perspective of who projects well, right? Players, not, you know, not lineups. Like, who projects, okay, these are the nine best projected players. Oh, I'm going to play those guys. Yeah, they, it's 76,000. You can't fit those fucking guys in, <laughs> right? You can't fucking do it. So, it, like, just knowing the players in and of itself, like, is not, like, the edge, even in cash games. No, I, I completely agree. You know, it's everything is relative. You know, every player is playable at a certain salary. Like, there are some people who are like, there's no way I'll play – a jet again for the rest of the year. Like, cause, cause jets, I mean, not just in the blitz, but in other systems, like jets have projected at times this year. Well, because they're three K, you know, the, the top of their target tree is generally condensed. And it's like, well, if he gets you 10 points for three K in a cash game like that, that's great. Um, and there's some people who are like, I'll never play another jet again. It's like, well, what if they made, what if they made Jamison Crowder $200 this week? You're not going to play Jamison Crowder. Like there's a price point for everybody, no matter what. And, and a lot of people, they, they think in absolutes. They don't think relatively like this. Right. Talking about price points. With the value of projections in DFS, why, why, why don't projection people charge more? It's a good question. And honestly, it's a question. I mean, just literally this morning, I had someone, because the Blitz did really well in Showdown last night, I guess. And like people chop pots and stuff. And people, someone's like, you got to charge more for these so more people don't have like these same lineups so more people don't have access to this. And and I get this a lot from people. And and I mean it's I mean it's really just like trying to find the equilibrium. Like what is too high? What are people actually going to buy and and what's going to give people the biggest edge for the people who do buy? And it, there's not like a, an easy formula to figure out what that right number is, but I do think it should be higher. I really do. Right. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's called elasticity of demand. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. similar to how I priced uh, the theory of DFS course. Cause I knew going in, I think just to, to get on the business end of it, I know you don't like the business end, but we'll get on the business end. You're here. It's necessary. I mean, right. yeah. you're trying to, essentially you're trying to find a price point that optimizes for you making the most money. Like that, like there's, there's no qualms. There's no, like, you don't get any like, oh my God, Cardi's greedy. It's like, that's what a business is. Like you're trying to, <laughs> right. You're trying to charge the most, like, obviously the cheaper you charge, the more volume you could expect to get more sales. Yep. And the lower, the higher you charge, you'll get less sales. But will you, will that, if you charged a hundred dollars versus $200, do you lose 50% of your sales? Right, so if you charge two hundred instead of one hundred and only lose twenty percent, well, you should be charging two hundred. And then you think in terms of should you be charging three hundred? Should you be? But a lot of this you can't necessarily project before you do it. You can right. take a look at around the industry and you know kind of get a sense. But I think in turn, I think from a business perspective, uh, 
and not just DFS, not just fantasy sports in general, that people underprice things out of fear rather than uh, optimization. Like they, they'd rather, for instance, I could have charged for the, the course 50 bucks, right? It could have been 15 hours, 50 bucks. Sounds reasonable enough, right? People would pay 50 bucks, probably, probably get more sales. Uh, but then I have to put a value on my time. Value right. on the value on the product. How how valuable is the product? Because sometimes products, uh, if you raise the price, it actually increases your sales because the perceived value goes up. Like yep. you see this in in cocktails, and like if you ran a bar, you had an umbrella and a lime and whatever, you could charge two dollars more because the perceived value of the cocktail goes absolutely. up. Put it in a cool glass, like yeah, absolutely. Right, exactly. It's the same alcohol. You cut the same cost, but the perceived yep. value goes up. So I. I always think in terms of if someone there there are a, there are people in in out there the public that will pay zero dollars for my course. They don't believe in paying for content at all. Like so, there's no there's literally no price I could put on it. It could be five dollars. They're not going to spend five dollars. So uh, if if I charge fifty, how often will the guy that 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 will buy it for fifty? Can I get him for an extra twenty five dollars? Like how often can I like if you're willing to pay fifty, are you willing to pay seventy five? I calculated that in my head. I, you know, I'm like, I, enough. So I'm like, okay, then I have 70. How about 100? If I charged 100, like that's a three digit, like from a behavioral economic standpoint, once you add that third digit, like it's a different, like nine, even 99 is different than 100. Because uh, this, I mean, this is kind of what I've been doing for the past 20. I mean, I'm in marketing. So like I, I, I get this from, from doing it for the other projects. Uh, so once I got to 100, I'm like, well, what the fuck's the difference between 100 and 125, right? Like, what? why don't I just make an extra $25? Like, wh- why not, right? Is there a difference between 125 and 150? I don't know. But I, I think if I could get someone for 100, I could get it for 125. It also allows me to, to give out a $10 thing, right? And then it's like, okay, 115. And that it seems like you got a deal, even though you didn't realize I was going to charge 100 for this. So, like, it's, it's, one, of, it's one of those types of things where you have to optimize for that. But also, you have to think in terms of how much perceived value in your product. So, like, to me, uh, I, think, I think you can charge for the MLB $999, like $1,000 for the bat. Because obviously in NFL, you only get 17 weeks. So I can understand it being cheaper. But for an entire 150, 100, 200 baseball slates... Like if I think you could get enough for a thousand dollars that you did at a, a cheaper price point, but I also think that the fact that it's a thousand dollars will compel people that wouldn't have bought it at two hundred. It almost feels like like oh if, if it that sounds very expensive, so it has to be good, and you didn't have to change anything. And I do think there's even just extra value on top of that for for the people who do buy it. There are going to be few fewer people who pay $1,000 than who would pay 200 or 300 or whatever it would normally be. And then you have fewer, comp- you know, less, co- less, less competent competition. You have fewer people competing using the same source of information, right? Right. I mean, but, but that's, to me, that's, I'm even just talking from a business person to a business person. Like I'm right. not even ta- like, this is, this is me as the, uh, I sell a course and you sell a projection system type of real deal talk of like, 
Like, because there are people that told me I should have charged $300 for my course. And I'm like, who says I couldn't have? I mean, like, like I don't come from the perspective of, like, they're, they're, it's all the value of the beholder. And, like, I'm not, I'm not going to shortchange my, my content. I, I believe the 15-hour course is the best education uh, a DFS has ever offered by anyone, anywhere. Okay? Now, is it groundbreaking information? No. You could, fi- you could find bits and pieces. You could listen to my free stuff and you could get bits and pieces together. You could listen to other sites, other people. You, they're bits and pieces together. They're, I'm not saying that they're stupid, but in one comprehensive 15-hour place that you could listen to any time and a- apply to any sport, I think it's the best. If I said it was $20, like, like to me, that's just like, well, how is it the fucking best if it's $20? Right, yeah. it's one hundred and twenty-five, and even then, I'm like, "What? How, how was the bet? Why isn't it five hundred dollars? Why isn't it a thousand? Like, like it's it's not a, it's not a. I don't necessarily care about about like what is Joe Schmo going to pay for it. It's like, well, how how how? What's my baseline on how valuable this is? And I'm uh, to me, I think it's a compliment that I'm telling you that that you're undervaluing your own product. No, I, I appreciate it, and, and it's you know. I've always liked having my stuff accessible. I was always, I've always liked making sure that people can have it and helping people. Like that's always been one of the motivations for me. Um, but I like money too. And, and, <laughs> and especially when I have users telling me you need to charge more for this. Um, it is something that I am seriously considering. Like I do think the prices will go up next year. It's just a matter of, of how high, like, and then like with Kurt, like, do you think, from a pure business standpoint, would it put certain users off? You know, they pay whatever it was this year, $200, $300 for the bat of the blitz. And next year it's a thousand dollars. Are some people just outright going to be like, why is Cardi doing this? He's being greedy. This is ridiculous. Why is it that big of a jump? Like, does, you, does you know what, you know what that like? sounds, you know what that sounds like to me? Fear. <laughs> yeah. Have yeah, you ever thought, have you ever thought of uh, as an extra monetization vehicle uh, to to do a, a course on modeling? Because people ask you probably. I mean, I think it's inefficient to do. I mean, I but there there are plenty of people. I have to admit. I know I'm money grubbing. I play DFS for money, and that's the be all end all of it. If it wasn't for the, if this game was free, I wouldn't even be doing this goddamn podcast. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be playing any of this stuff. Uh, but there are people for intellectual. You know they. They're, they're, they're playing for recreation They're but they're also, they're serious recreation. They're not playing to make the most money. They're playing because they enjoy the intellectual challenge. They want to build their own model because they want to do it out of pride. They want to learn. So have you thought of, I know it's maybe even much more of a niche audience, but putting out a, how to build a model type of course where you could charge a decent amount, where, where it's, you're, you're, you're building an empire of like, like the, the, what, what you do as a brand. And so that would be I've part of it. I've definitely thought about that because I love talking about this stuff. There's so many things that I do that I don't think anyone else is doing that I would love to talk about and brag about and like have people say, oh yeah, that's really cool. Um, my concern with talking about this stuff or putting out a product like that is that the people who buy it will be the competitors of the bat and the blitz who are putting out projections they'll take the stuff that I'm talking about, make their stuff better, and I'll have less of a relative advantage with the actual projections I'm selling. So there's secret sauce in just like the how? I'm talking about just the statistics. It's very similar to Mike. Like, you've, you've listened to my course. 
most of the stuff in there is not like is stuff that you don't like. Oh, I didn't know that for the first time. It's 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 very basic stuff. But if you wanted to teach someone, it's like like you're not teaching them how to make good projections. You're teaching them how to like how do you use Excel? I mean, like you have to start from somewhere That's where true. where people like they don't even un- like they're like how do I scrape data from this site? Like like not like all. Well, Here's my proprietary secret sauce type of stuff. I see what you mean. It's like you don't have to. You're you're, a, you're imagine you're a, a a sports car designer, and you build like the you know very high end sports cars, uh, like you're and you're a car designer. It's like you're not going to teach people like this is how you this is how you design a, a Ferrari or whatever. It's like no no, they need to just learn how to design a car. Just like how right. it has four wheels and it has all this type of stuff. And I think there 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 are people that are interested in it and it's evergreen content that like, you don't have to like, once you make that course, like you don't have to very similar to what, what I did. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to go. I don't have to go into my theory of DFS course and tweak someone's target share, like in the, in the audio for, yeah. for a certain, like it doesn't, <laughs> so I, I, I'm just pushing you on this because I think, I think it's no, useful. I think that's a great idea. I think that's probably something, uh, something I should probably do. For me, everything comes down to time. My my list is a million miles long of stuff I need to do that I haven't had time to do yet. But I think that's a great idea. That's something I should probably probably think about doing. Right. If, uh, if you're watching this and you think you'd be interested in something like that, let let me know so I so I know that there's there's a market for this. Because <laughs> even if you're not going to create your own model, even just understanding how models work. Because I mean, in my in in my course. I mean, like the third chapter and in general, it's like a statistics class in general. But I mean, my course is geared around game theory of like the strategy of the game. So it's kind of like, like that third chapter is kind of like get, essentially the title of it should be get a projection model. Like I'm not going (laughs) to treat you. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but get a projection model. And this is how you read it. This is how you understand what it is. But that chapter that it's two and a half hours, like you could go into it. You could do it for 20 hours. Like that, that one, and then understanding all of that and having videos of like, of this is how you scrape this. This is how pivot tables work. And this is, you know, like the stuff that you could probably, if you got on Khan Academy for a general basis, could, there are, there are free classes for this, but for someone that's just involved with DFS or just involved with fantasy sports, like there, to me, to me, you could actually charge more for that because you know, the audience is, is more limited and they value it more. And there's like, I do, do I know of any other uh, modeler that, that has their own course and you could even put it together and make a combo package with the blitz. Yeah. No, it I, makes sense. I feel like I'm doing a reverse infomercial. <laughs> I feel like the product hasn't been made yet, yet I'm doing a infomercial for something that, that should come out. I like it. I think it's a great idea. What are you doing with your time? You say that you need to value your time. What are you doing with your time? Like the football season will be over. Baseball season doesn't start till April. You don't do NBA well, projections. I'm on baseball stuff. I'm trying to build a, the pitcher version of the Bad X this winter, which is just a massive undertaking. Um, so, so that's my main project this winter. But uh, like, I need to get the bat season long projections up. I need to get it ready for next year. I need to, I need to build out these upgrades. I need to, I need to get more into sports betting. Um, like, uh, I don't know, but I like this idea. I think it's something I, I'm really going to consider. Okay. Well, I didn't realize that there was so much of an under, like even in December, you're going like, like, what do you do? Okay. 
to close it out. Like, I, I, like, what are you doing? Like, it even I mean, just explain it to me. Like, it's it's December. Like, I know, I know. Obviously, you're analyzing past data, but like, what takes that dramatic amount of time? Because I know you you have the bat versus the bat X, which you did for for batters, but it doesn't reflect the pitcher projections last year. Like, right. what takes you three months to do? Well, I mean, part of it is just getting the bat ready for next year. Like, What's think a, What does like, that mean? That's so cryptic. What do you mean getting it ready? Patting it on its back? I mean, like, motivating it? Like, what does getting it ready mean? It means collecting the data from last year, going through. Like, people think it's just like this thing in Excel. You just press a button and it spits it out. It is like, like a, a gigabyte's worth of text files that has to run. You have to go through. You have to make sure it looks right. You have to, you know, push some things along. Man, it's like... Ugh. I don't even know how to, it's a lot. It's a lot. And, and a lot of it is, I mean, that'll take like a week probably. Okay. So um, what are you doing the rest of the time? <laughs> I'm building the bad X for pitchers. So I'm what, what at, exactly what it, so, so it's a lot of just coding and making sure this goes into this and then back testing and going, lot, okay, this it's sucks. Coding, it's looking at data, studying data, adjusting data. Um, like the bad X for pitchers is going to look at velocity, movement, spin rate, all that kind of stuff. And it's going to basically be able to tell you, okay, this guy has the best fastball. This guy's curveball is this good for strikeouts, this good for home runs, whatever. It's going to do that for every pitcher, every pitch, um, which just getting to that point is obviously a lot because you have to evaluate a whole bunch of variables. You have to build formulas. You have to do that. Then you have to say, okay, um, how do these things age? You have to figure out you know, how velocity ages relative to spin rate. You have to figure out you know, how, you know, the, the waiting thing from before, how much is his velocity from last year matter relative to his velocity from, from the year before, then from a DFS perspective, you want to go in and you want to figure out, okay, well, what if his velocity changed? What if in his last two starts, his velocity is five miles an hour less? How much does that matter relative to what he was doing earlier in the year? Like that kind of thing. Um, there, there's a lot, there's a lot, <laughs> right? That's not something you just do in an afternoon. No, it's not. <laughs> and I'm assuming it's a lot of trial and error. A lot of like, okay, well, I'm going to assume this. I'm going to run. I'm going to run everything and then see that, okay, that's, that's, that's wrong. Yeah, you got you to run a lot of tests. You got to figure out what maximizes accuracy, what works best, what matters, what doesn't matter. Um, and yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to it. <laughs> I, I, with, the, with the spin rates and all that type of stuff, are you, are, you, are you concerned that, like, are you using pitch effects data? Because, I mean, I've always thought with pitch effects that, like it's it's too descriptive to use because like it's just saying that it's a curveball but like not everyone's curveball looks the same right so so that's another thing pitch classifications are obviously a thing if i if i want to go in and build my own you know system to reclassify pitches that that's a lot of work um i think the i think the mlb's generic pitch classifications have gotten a lot better especially once i mean this would obviously be factoring things in as well. It would be factoring in, you know, how it moves. And this curveball is, you know, 12 to 6. And this curveball is more of like a slur. Okay, like so you're using like X and Y axis. I know, I know there's data on like the pitch movement mm-hmm. as far as X and Y axis, not just yeah. like, just not so like, like it it does not slider, like SL, you know, like, because I, I, I've, I've looked into that, like, because I looked into that three years ago. Because I, like I said, I could, I, I, I do know some of this stuff. I can... I can do that. And I, I did, uh, uh, I was my, I, probably my biggest analysis to date on pitch. Cause that's when pitch effects was in vogue. 
I heard it on show. Oh, this guy has good slider versus this hitter hits good slide. I'm like, this doesn't seem to make like, how could you possibly have to that extent in that small sample size? And then I went in and I just, I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to scrape all this, this pitch effects data. And then I'm just going to just, I'm just uh, compare it to actual, just go, this guy has a higher uh, ISO and this, whatever. And then I just, I just did it throughout the course of the season and uh, came out that if I would have flipped the coin, it would have been the same fucking, same fucking thing. Like, I mean, it would have been like, yeah, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And then by the time a hundred games go by, it's like, wow, I just wasted a lot of time. None of this is correlative. Well, that that's the point of a good projection system. You you go in, you look at what matters, you look at what doesn't matter, you look at what is predictive, and and you figure it out. And I do think a lot of this stuff is. I mean, I, I've run it. Like I I've been building this part of it for four years. It's just I I've never had time to go in and finish it. And that's what I want to do this winter. And, and there are a lot of predictive things with this. Like there are there are characteristics of pitches that do a really good job of projecting. How many strikeouts a guy's going to get with that pitch? How many swings and misses? You know, how many home runs he's going to give up? And uh, and it, a lot of it is stuff that people have never considered before. Um, like, it's not just, I say velocity and movement and spin because that's what everyone knows and because I don't want to say the other stuff I'm looking at. There's like 200 variables per pitch I'm oh, looking you at. Oh, you have secret variables? Oh, I have secret variables. Oh, it's secret variables? You're not going to give out any of your secret variables? No, not yet. Not At, at least not until it's out. You know, because there are other people doing this sort of thing. Um, I think mine is going to be um, better. But uh, there, there's, there's, I don't, I'm excited about it. I think this is going to be a, a really big upgrade. That's what I'm going to title this episode: "Secret Variables." I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it for a business reason. I'm going to do it to try to get clicks, right? Because that's what you're supposed to do on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, night, hit the thumbs up button, the subscribe, hit everything <laughs> you want. I didn't say any of that yet. Or some uh, rate and review on that. iTunes. Click the click click whatever you want. Click right, click whatever you want. But if I put the title "Secret Variables" with Derek Cardi, people will be like, "I need to know what his secret variables are." And then you find uh-huh. out at the end, Little you don't fucking know. tell anyone. Them out. <laughs> <laughs> right? You don't tell anyone your secret fucking <laughs> variables. Not at all. So, uh, so Cardi, thanks for, uh, for 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 coming on, filling in for 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 Eric because he, I don't know. He, he's off, he's off doing, he's, he's making his own model or something. I don't know. He, he's out, he's, he's out trying to out project you. So, uh, the, we only got like three weeks left of, uh, NFL, but, uh, uh, I mean, if people want to check out the blitz, you could always check out the blitz on Roto Grinders on, and same for the bat. I'm assuming, I'm assuming there'll be an early bird price for the bat at some point in February. That'll be way too cheap. I want to see that. And I want to see four digits. It's a baseball season, right? Like I'm, I, I, I think you could charge more. I'm just telling you. I think you're right. I think fear is, is a factor. You get one shot at this per year. You, you price it up too much. You don't get enough. You don't make enough money for the year. I've got to put food on my table. No, no, but, no, no, no. You could always price it higher and make it lower. You can't do it the other way. Right? Like it's, it's like the, the, whole, the, whole, the whole thing. See, let me give you a secret to, to end. Because I... I, I, I because people, the business stuff, people are interested in, I guess. Uh, you don't want, like, the people that love you the most will pay you the most. So, like, to me, there should never be an early bird special. Because the people that will pay it are the people that will pay the regular price to begin with. Right? right. Those are the first people. So, truthfully, the, the, the you should start with the highest price and end with the lowest price. Right? You... the. I know this sounds like nefarious, but this is what marketing is. 
Yeah, they, but then someone who paid, you know, I charge a thousand bucks, you know, before the season, people pay a thousand bucks, you know, the first week of the year, I drop it to, you know, 700. Everyone who bought it for a thousand is going to be pissed. They're going to be like, this is some shady oil salesman. Like, why, why does everyone else have to pay less than I did? Well, you only did, you only did a little, wait a little while. And also <laughs> you, you do, you do targeted digital marketing so that other people don't see that. <laughs> I, I, that's hey hey that this is this is this is how you do that shit this is people don't realize that you're followed around on the internet and like when you when you click on if you're on like a shopping cart on like site and like i don't feel like buying that sofa cushion or something like that like that shit follows you around the entire internet. like that's what i did that's what I, I mean i used to do for a living and you don't realize that the the pricing that you're seeing on amazon is like maybe custom to you and then you could, you, I could pull up a, you know, a set of headphones that for me, it says $69 and for you, it says $85 and you're not going to know any different, right? Some shady business. That's the secret <laughs> variables. That's the secret variables. Secret variables. <laughs> okay. So follow Derek Hardy, Derek Cardi on Twitter, on Blender HD on Twitter. And there's been another episode of the theory of DFS podcast.